This is Kip Speak, a podcast created as a platform to foster conversation around the future of the legal industry and encourage young professionals to engage with leading innovators from across the UK. Hi, I'm Shana. A warm welcome back to Kip Speak. For today's episode, I spoke with Erica Pagano. Erica is the head of legal innovation and design at Simmons Wavelength, the UK's first legal engineering firm. We had a fantastic conversation about what different terms like legal design and legal engineering mean, and how lawyers and clients are embracing new ways of thinking and communicating. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the ride. Hi, Erica. Welcome to Kip Speak. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Great. So, first off, you currently work at Simmons Wavelength, which is previously Wavelength Law. And one of the standout points about Wavelength is that you were the first legal engineering firm in the UK. So, for our listeners who don't know what that means, could you explain a bit what legal engineering is about? Sure. So a legal engineer is someone who uses law, data, and design to deliver positive change in the legal sector by unlocking new value, efficiencies, and insights. Using our tools and skills, we transform the experience of legal professionals, businesses, and members of society. That's legal engineering. Wow. How, so I've sometimes heard it combined with the term legal design and the legal design engineers. So is there an overlap between these concepts or um, are they distinct? They are distinct and they can overlap and they can be complementary. That's a very lawyer answer yeah. for you. Yeah. Do you elaborate a bit on what you mean? Sure. So I think of legal design as a way to do law differently, similarly to legal engineering. Mm -hmm. So my title is head of legal innovation and design. So while I do sometimes dabble in the art of legal engineering, I'm more focused around legal design. People have different definitions for what that means, but I think of it as using design leadership to deliver more value. Uh, In a nutshell, influencing how cross-functional talent can deliver using user-centric strategies. So um, making sure that we're making law better by operating with empathy, leading with influence, and serving as a resource, uh, be that for our team, uh, for broader Simmons & Simmons, uh, or for our clients. Um, It's creative, it's collaborative, it's a lot of fun, it's so much hard work, um, (laughs) and sometimes there's a bit of troublemaking involved too. But clients are asking for us as lawyers to do Mm -hmm. things differently, uh, so we've got to, to break a few eggs and rules in the process. That sounds really interesting. Can you tell us a bit more about your role and are there any projects that you are able to share with us? Sure. So one of the first projects I did after our acquisition um, was in conjunction with our colleagues here at Simmons. Mm -hmm. So uh, a client was reviewing their panel and we were on review for the panel uh, and the client really wanted a response uh, to their RFP that was radically different. Um, So we did just that. We threw out any preconceived notions of what a panel response or an RFP response should look like. So instead of a regular Word document or a standard PowerPoint, we took a storytelling approach. So using principles like legal design, uh, we submitted our response in a visually impactful way. Uh, You can think of it almost as like a cartoon that took all the attributes and skills they wanted us to mention, and we built scenarios and our responses to those scenarios in a visual format that showed how we would use our skills, our tools, our technologies to solve their problems. It was really successful. Um, It was really fun. And uh, it was an interesting process getting lawyers 
designers who are quite traditional and not yet familiar with legal design on board with the process and get them to experience it themselves. It's so rewarding to see when that light goes on, when they're like, ah, I get it. I get the power of it. This is awesome. How was I not doing this for the past 20 years? Uh, so that's a lot of what I'm responsible for. Yeah, so I've, I've heard a little bit about legal design because a few weeks ago I was part of this legal design sprint that the Bar mm-hmm. Council organized. Mm-hmm. And during the process I learned about things like how contracts can are becoming a bit more visual in some areas, uh, using things like icons or creative layouts to make them a little more readable. And then the same thing is being done to privacy policies. Uh, so I guess that's something that you might be more rather familiar with in your area. Absolutely. I think it boils down to communication. So this can mean... How can a legal department better communicate with different business units? How can a company, um, be it the legal department who's responsible for this or not, better communicate with their customers? We're all law students or lawyers sitting here in this room, and chances are if you're listening, you probably have some tie to the law as well. But how many of you have ever actually read those agreements you get from your bank or your phone or whatever? We don't. I don't. But if there were a way to read it that was visually simple, Think about, for example, if you go to the gym. My gym is really good at this. Once you finish a class, a little notification pops up, and it's really, it's a super easy interface to give feedback right away. Rate the class, say what you like about it, say what you didn't like about it. Because the design allows us to easily engage with it, we're more likely to get the feedback. They're more likely to be a better business. So how can we use concepts like that and then apply them to a legal function? Mm-hmm. I think that's a really good point because mm-hmm. I think this is something that we've seen, like service design is something we see in other sectors as well. And um, it might be somewhat new to the legal profession, but it's not like a new uh, concept. It clearly is around and it works, right? It does work. And, and you can see major returns from it. I was reading a McKinsey report the other day that said that Companies who are advanced in their design strategy, meaning design plays a key part in their leadership, um, like it does at Wavelength, like Mm -hmm. it does at Simmons, uh, they have, on average, uh, 200% more um, income and uh, shareholder returns. So that's encouraging. It's good. (laughs) Traditionally, uh, law as a sector, as you both know, has been a a little bit slow to change and slow to respond. Uh, But I think in this case, design can actually help us speed that up because it's intuitive. Mm -hmm. We think about design in everything that we do. Uh, It's forced upon us in different ways, in the way that we interact with, say, the two, uh, in the way that we interact with the supermarket. So it's something that we're familiar with, and so it doesn't have to be strange that we now incorporate it into Mm -hmm. law. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. So tell us a bit about the kinds of clients you have worked with. And and I'm also curious to know, are there any common misconceptions that clients have when they come to you? So we get all kinds of clients, which is really fun. I think the common denominator with our clients is that we really love working with them and they really love working with us. I think because at Wavelength, we're such a multidisciplinary, a multicultural team, it's very easy for us to uh, capitalize on the fact that we can be more user-centric. Mm-hmm. It's nice to like the people you work with. Uh, so in terms of a common misconception, I think this is industry-wide. Folks tend to think that, oh, well, you just sprinkle some AI on it and it'll fix the problem. But we all know that that's not how things work. You can't just sprinkle some AI on it like you would salt mm-hmm. or sprinkles or whatever. And so I think a common misconception is that you know legal engineers just build code to fix the problem. That's only a small part of the equation. Really, the first step is understanding the client's culture. 
understanding how they work, why they work the way they work, and then helping them really understand what their problem is, because that's truly our, our role is, as lawyers and legal engineers, to understand what the problem actually is, because most of the time, clients think they know what the problem is. It's up to us to actually help them, coach them, understand uh, what it really is, mm-hmm. what the real root cause is, and, and where the opportunities are to solve it. Yeah, so I guess even when clients do come to you with some ideas, that doesn't always mean it plays out the way they expect. I think sometimes clients come to us with ideas, which is great. Mm -hmm. They're open-minded, they're ready to go, and they want to know how realistic the idea is. What are the Mm -hmm. risks around the idea? And how to take a really big task and break it down into small, manageable pieces. It's easy to say something like, we're going to embark on a digital transformation journey. Well, great. What does that actually mean? Whether your team is five people or 5,000 people, how is that going to impact behaviors, incentives, uh, motivations that people have, let alone, I mean, it's great to say, oh, here's a new tool or technology. But unless you actually convince people to use it, to adopt it, I mean, how many times do you forget a password? On a website, right? You're like, you do it once. You're like, I'm going to remember that. And then you don't because it doesn't become habit. So a lot of legal design and legal engineering is around looking at behaviors and influencing and incentivizing uh, people to transform as well. I think that's a big misconception is that, well, technology alone can fix it. There's Mm -hmm. a real human equation that has to go along with that too. So yeah, is there like psychology that comes into play and like things like behavioral economics Absolutely. I think it's important for any 21st century lawyer or legal professional to have a multidisciplinary background or at least interest in reading these things uh, because we need to learn from other sectors to better service our clients. We're not standalone. We're not living in a vacuum. Our folks that we service, be they clients or clients of our clients, don't exist in a vacuum either. They're influenced by these things too, so we need to include them. Yeah. I mean, I think that definitely ties into why... uh, there are new sort of models of legal service providers emerging, things like the big four branching out to legal services because they have these other capabilities and they're trying to like pull that in. So I guess that's definitely something that all lawyers have to think about in the industry. Yeah, it's, it's changing. It's an exciting time to be a lawyer, uh, despite how hard it might be to get an internship or a training contract or shift your career. Uh, when I started law school, legal engineering was not a thing. Legal innovation was just becoming a thing. Legal design didn't really exist either. So I've been lucky in the sense that I've as I've grown in my career, I've grown up with these concepts and grown along with them, um, which, again, is just coincidence and, and pure luck. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember thinking one day, not too soon after the start of, of my career, after I finished law school, thinking, oh, now I sort of see why all of these other skills, these things I did growing up, like going to circus camp, learning how to entertain a crowd, learning how to juggle, learning how to team with other people, learning how to work retail, all of these other experiences, you're like, oh my God, I get it. How to deal with a crappy customer when you're working service at a restaurant. Um, They really do come in handy. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think that's how we as lawyers should should approach things, not just focus on our legal training, which, by the way, is always the most important thing. I always have to put a disclaimer there that your substantive training is always the most important. But yeah, these other the things really, are great bonus. They're the value add. They're they're what's going to put you over the edge. Yeah, that's a good point. So actually, going back to your background, before you were in this role, you were 
very involved with an initiative called Law Without Walls, which is a really interesting kind of educational model um, that seems to combine law and business. But could you tell us a bit more about it? Sure. So I'm the product of Law Without Walls myself. I was a student in the very early years of Law Without Walls uh, when I was in law school, and then I served as director for about six years. Um, And so uh, I'm still really involved with the program as well. It's a big part of who I am and a big part of the reason why I'm here today. Um, It basically reimagines how current and future lawyers and business people collaborate, and it teaches them all of the skills that you don't necessarily get in school but need to be successful, like teaming, design thinking, professional development, communication, cultural competency. You don't really get a course in these things, unless you take my class or a class like (laughs) Law Without Walls, for example. Um, But they're things that really set you apart from the crowd and and can really catapult or catalyze your success very early on in the profession. Are there programs like Law Without Walls that are kind of coming up? I'm thinking in the UK. Do UK law students especially have access to these sort of opportunities, or is it still something that's heavily based in Miami? Is that where it started? So Law Without Walls was founded at the University of Miami, and there were several schools that are founding schools. Now it's about 30, 35 law and business schools Mm. around the world. Uh, There are opportunities for UK students to participate or, and or, students who are studying in the UK. Um, And I I think it's just a a phenomenal thing that now schools are starting to invest in and think about more multidisciplinary courses. So, for example, I teach a course at IE University of Madrid every fall, and it's around all of these skills that you don't necessarily get in other courses. Uh, We learn different ways of pitching. Uh, We learn how to succeed in an interview. We learn how to build a LinkedIn profile, how to market yourself, uh, how to team, uh, how to problem find in different ways, uh, how to apply design thinking. So for example, this year, the final was all around uh, redesigning and reimagining a lease, a residential lease. Um, and how to access that lease, dispute that lease, things like that. Uh, So schools are definitely investing more in this, and firms and in-house departments are investing more in this too um, because we're we're expected um, to have these skills Mm -hmm. as professionals, uh, whether we've been trained in them or not. So it's kind of trial by fire now. Mm -hmm. It's it's definitely an exciting time to be in. So many changes kind of coming. So... I think we're reaching the conclusion of the interview, but there's three questions that we have asked all our uh, podcast guests to go through. So the first one is, what is the biggest obstacle that, if removed, would make your job easier and more impactful? So I was thinking about this question, and I see ease and impact as two different questions. So ease, I think this is really simple. Uh, I desperately need a new pair of headphones. Uh, And that's a pretty easy thing to solve. Um, But impact, um, there's not much more I can ask for in my current role because Simmons is really a dream come true as far as a home. Uh, The receptivity, the openness, and the curiosity amongst colleagues and clients makes impact easy. I think it's also important to remember that impact isn't always immediate. 
sometimes it takes a bit of time, right? It's always not like an explosion or uh, really visual. Um, sometimes it's the product of small successes and changes adding up together. Here it's definitely happening. Happening. It's really great to collaborate with people, for example, and in the process of collaborating with them, alongside them, you get to see those changes happen. You get mm-hmm. to see, like I was talking about before, their eyes light up, their brains are like, oh my gosh, I get it. Um, and they feel like they are succeeding and trying something new. We as lawyers are built um, to do really well. Um, to succeed, to excel. And so when you can coach someone and empower someone to do that alongside you uh, using this new set of skills, um, that's a really magical moment, especially when it comes to legal design. (laughs) So is there a highlight from your work that you would be able to share with us? Sure. So I, I talked to you a bit previously about the the response to the RFP and doing that in a new way, which was really cool. I think another one was, um, speaking of troublemaking, I, I ran with a bit of a rogue idea. I was tired of written case studies. I was so tired of them. So I thought, well, I also before I became a lawyer, I had a background in production, and I grew up in broadcasting. So I thought, why don't we do a video case study? I mean, I love YouTube. I love YouTubers. We should try and build on the success of that and do a case study very differently. So we did. And it went firm-wide. It was just internal. Mm-hmm. And the engagement rates were through the roof. I mean, we had costumes, not serious ones, but they were <laughs> kind of fun. It was very homegrown, and it was meant to have oh, sort of a homegrown look and feel. Um, but elements of, of our own character and branding is wavelength because part of the mm-hmm. reason why we're here is to serve as influencers around the firm to get people to understand mm-hmm. working differently and um, working in you know multidisciplinary, multicultural teams. Anyhow, so we did this video case study. The engagement was through the roof. People really loved it. I had folks stopping me in the hallway and saying, people I didn't even know saying, thank you for reminding me why I need to change the way that I work. Thank you for brightening my day. Thank you for doing things differently. So for me, that's an example of legal design succeeding. Just forcing people, enabling people, not really forcing them, enabling them to reimagine how they do things and why they do things. So I think we're going to start doing more of those and maybe have some external facing ones soon. So you can be on the lookout for that. Wow. I will. (laughs) So lastly, where can we find or learn more about you? Well, you can come see me at the Kips Law Tech 2020 conference coming up soon. Uh, You can also find me on LinkedIn. That's probably the easiest way than me spelling out my very long two email addresses here. Um, But I'm very easy to find on LinkedIn. Please feel free to reach out. If you're curious about legal engineering, we are hiring right now. So that's something worth noting. Um, If you want to know more about legal design or just what it's like to have this kind of role in a large global organization, uh, I'm always here to talk. Thank you both so much for having me. Yeah, thank you so much, Erica, for joining us today. Thank you.